You are worthy as a human being, no matter if you are healthy or not, period. End of sentence. Facts do not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. Before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general educational purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. And we always recommend that you see a licensed health professional accordingly. And a warning for this week, we will be talking about weight, diet culture, and disordered eating. So please protect yourself and any little ears as appropriate. With that said, I want to welcome Casey Brown to the show. She shares her life at Streets, Beats, and Eats, a Dallas lifestyle blog, and a lot is focused on body image and self-love, but also like depth of content, which we're going to get into. I think that's the case for a lot of us, right? Like we're in a bathing suit, but really there's a lot of feelings underneath that bathing suit, which you could definitely find on Casey's social, sharing pictures and underwear, different kinds of things to help us all find confidence. Also sharing her favorite foods, fashion, and fitness, and advocating for us to love the skin that we're in, which is so much about what I love. So welcome to the show, Casey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Can you share a little bit more about yourself with listeners, maybe kind of your story? Yeah, I am from a small town in Kansas, grew up in a household with a single mom and three siblings, and then I moved away for college. I went to TCU in Texas, and I have been here ever since. I went to school for strategic communication and film, TV, digital media, and it was a wonderful degree and an interesting experience in school. I went from a small town lifestyle to everyone had daddy's credit card and felt like they all drove Range Rovers at TCU and tried my best to fit in and eventually found a group of friends that felt right for me, but it brought a lot of challenges along the way. I developed an eating disorder while at TCU, which carried into my adult life. And then Once I graduated school, I moved to Dallas, which is where I still am today. I am married to a wonderful man named Austin, and we have a big old dog named Bear. I used my degree to work in the music industry for a few years. I actually went on tour with a band, went around to Florida, New York, Texas. We drove in an 18-passenger van and just did the thing, came back from that and decided I don't know what I want to do with my life. I'm 23 years old and searching for purpose. And I decided to take working for myself seriously. And that is the blog as it is today, Streets, Beats, and Eats. It has evolved with me as I have evolved as a person. It started out as the streets of Dallas, the streets I travel, working in the music, being the beats and eats, being eating disorder. And the Dallas food scene is insane. You can't live in Dallas and not talk about the Dallas food scene. 
that has grown with me today to become my full-time job where I have a community of women that I get to engage with every single day that lift me up. I get to hype them up. We share stories. We talk. There's a lot of boob talk on my on my social and on my website because I recently learned that I had been wearing the wrong size bra my entire life and I don't want anyone else to feel that pain. We dive deeper into eating disorder content, self-love, and how I have grown to be comfortable in the skin that I am in. I love so much of what you share online. I am a follower, so it's my favorite thing to do is to introduce listeners to people that I enjoy because we're best friends, my listeners and I. So I'm like, I love someone, you'll love someone. And I only came to your social later, so I was not there for your original sharing of your journey with your eating disorder. And I'm wondering if we can talk a little bit about that. And, you know, the show is a health and science-based show. And I just want to remind listeners that there has been a lot in the recent press from medical associations conflicting information. But what we do know is that eating disorders are incredibly terribly bad for people both from a mental perspective as well as a physical perspective and so in my approach both with myself and with my children and all of those things like and all of the treatment providers that I work with for my kids it is always like if that's if food is a coping mechanism for someone right now in a terrible place then we're leaning into to being whatever it is like we're not putting restriction on food we're not creating any sort of boundaries around food because that is what they need to normalize to get to a place where we can manage the mental health. And I think being a mom of four teenagers, I have a much different perspective than I did kind of when I was your age. And I was doing a lot of restricting of food and thinking that it was good for me. And really it was disordered eating. And I had an eating disorder. I also was bulimic in high school. And but maybe into college, I can't really remember. But ultimately, I think that happens to a lot of us, right? And then it moves into diet culture and all this kind of stuff. And so it's all related, even if we don't think that we have disordered eating or we don't think that we know anyone with an eating disorder, it's important to have these conversations because without it, we're not optimizing the health of our community. And that's, I'm all here for the improvement of health and wellness for everybody. So all of that to say, I appreciate that you're talking about it and putting it out there. And I I have seen the change in public discord and our community in people starting to understand how important this is, the impact that it has, how it's tied to mental and overall physical health because of people like you who are sharing. So I appreciate your willingness to go there today. Thank you. It is a conversation that needs to be had. Like you said, it's something that hasn't been talked about in the past. And I feel like all of this wonderful, incredible change that is happening could have started 10 years ago, could have started 20 years ago, but we didn't have people willing to go to that vulnerable place and speak up. So I'm thankful for all of the others in the community that are helping lead the way for change and getting to see the change within the women that I speak with on a daily basis. Even my PCP doctor, I was told that since I started going there, they were a very weight neutral practice, which is why I felt comfortable there. 
I didn't have to look at the scale. They don't always weigh me. They don't blame an elbow pain on my weight. And I started sharing that with my gals that live in Dallas. Like, hey, this is a great resource. And I was told at my last visit that their entire team, not just my doctor and nurse, but the entire team goes through training now for eating disordered, how to recognize disordered eating habits and how to offer help when someone isn't quite ready to ask for it. So seeing that change in a professional setting is so inspiring to me. It's it's also just shocking to me that it wouldn't have been the standard requirement beforehand because Mm -hmm. it is a huge impact on health. I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of it. I was just reading Jeanette McCurdy's book and she talks about one of the last times that she was vomiting, she lost a tooth and like literally it came up and I was like, do people understand what is happening? Like the nutrient deficiencies in our body, the stress that's put on our body, like so many different things, which she talks about a little bit in her book and is super intense in terms of like her trauma, traumatic upbringing, all that kind of stuff. But I think there's also this road that you don't have to have experienced, you know, childhood trauma. It's all this kind of stuff. It can be like you were experiencing in college. There was this comparison. You were hearing other people talk about binging or diet pills or crash diets or laxatives. Like I remember those conversations with my friends in high school and college. Like it's a normal thing. Yeah, let's get diet pills. It's shocking to me. And I'm grateful that those kinds of things are at least taboo so that it can be a red flag for my teenagers when they hear those things. And anyway, all that to say, I'm excited to hear your story. I'm not familiar with it. And I think it'll be helpful for us to kind of work through what that looked like for you. Yeah, let's dive in. I was on my first essentially diet at six years old. I was told that I had to walk a mile with my mom every day in order to get to go to a concert. It was LFO at the Kansas State Fair. I was really excited and I wanted to wear a tank top. But I was told that my body didn't look good in a tank top. So we would have to go on walks so I could lose weight. And then I would be gifted the tickets. So diet culture has been ingrained in my brain since I was a literal child. And as an adult, I can look back and go, my mom grew up with the same things. She thought she was protecting me from the ridicule, from feeling less than, from others not welcoming me because I was a slightly larger child than they were. But also, it happened. So I went from having to walk, having food restricted as a child to then once I could drive, it was me trying to stop at a CVS to pick up laxatives, me going to CVS to go get whatever special diet pill was out on the market that year that was being promoted, hydroxy, whatever, for 10 pounds, 10 inches, anything I could get my hands on, I was getting it. A kid as a child on the playground hearing about older girls using toothbrushes to make themselves throw up. You know, we were just around it 24-7. 
in our most impressionable years. And while I was ingrained in the diet culture element, I was still eating my meals. I wasn't throwing up. I thought I was fine because I didn't have an eating disorder. I was just trying to get skinny. I also remember in that teenage years, early high school, my dad had told me if he would buy my gym membership if I worked out every single day. So I would go to the gym every single day. And you think, cool, that's great. You're moving your body. Well, I was also in sports. I was a multi-sport athlete in high school. So I was having to make myself find time to go to the gym on top of sports practice, on top of weightlifting class, on top of school, babysitting, trying to make money and forcing myself to do this because if I didn't do it, I didn't have a gym membership anymore. My dad wouldn't pay for it. And I learned at that point in time about dangling a little carrot in front of me for a reward and thinking it was positive. Like, oh, I'll get a new pair of jeans once I get this size. Well, now I could just switch brands and I could drop two sizes or gain two sizes depending on which brand I shop. But I, I had all of this surrounding me from every angle. And then I went on a diet that I won't name because it's still very popular and I don't like that. It's scary, but it taught me to restrict my body to a thousand calories a day with these tiny meals. And that taught me that my stomach didn't need to ever feel full. So when I went to college, I had my first experience of feeling really full because I couldn't afford to pay for this diet on my own. And I ate a couple cookies at halftime of a football game that I was working and ran straight to the bathroom. And that is where my eating disorder began. I threw up those cookies. I was like, wow, I'm not full anymore. This is great. This is amazing. You know, the little bit of weight that I had gained back after losing it in high school, I can get rid of it this way. I, at that point on, could not eat a meal without getting rid of it. It was a psychological, in my head, I might have only eaten a salad, you know, half of, like, side salad at the lunch table. But my brain's like, you have food in you. It has to go away. Get rid of it. Do what you need to do. My stomach physically wasn't full. But it was mental. I had control over something in my life. And that was growing up. So that continued for many years and was actually reinforced that I was doing the right thing by my peers. I had lost some weight. I started getting attention from guys, attention from girls. It was people wanted to be my friend now. I looked more like them. And Guys flirted with me and I was on a high and my roommate at the time knew what was going on and he told me to keep it up. He encouraged me to continue doing what I was doing. I needed to go to the bathroom when we were out. If my parents weekend happened and I had to go to the bathroom, he would distract my family for me. He would run interference to make sure I could still do what I needed to do in secret. 
Now I know that wasn't a friend, but at the time he was my best friend. And I kept going and I eventually graduated college and moved to Dallas and still found a way, even working in a full-time job, to disappear to go to the bathroom after meals and hide it from my friends, from my colleagues. And at the same time, I started seeing a doctor who told me, oh, you're so fat. I was years into an eating disorder, the smallest I had ever been. And this doctor, male doctor, white old man, was telling me that I was fat. And that crushed me. So he prescribed me pills. He's like, this will help. So now I'm not only having an eating disorder, but I am on a pill that is supposed to solve everything. And I started to realize what I was doing needed to stop. It was destroying my health. I had done blood work and everything was out of whack. There wasn't a single element that they were testing for on a yearly physical that was in range for me. My cortisol levels were so high that I had to take a bucket to work and do a poop test, like take it to the office, poop in it and go deliver it because I just couldn't figure out why my cortisol levels were so high. It's because my body was in stress. It was screaming at me for help. And I finally was starting to listen to that scream for help. And I tried to heal myself on my own, but it wasn't working. I could go two or three days and then I would relapse. I would go a week and then I would relapse. I thought that if maybe I told a couple people to hold me accountable, then all would be good because accountability is what worked in growing up. Oh, I have a gym partner every day holding me accountable. I do weigh-ins. It's holding me accountable. So it's like, let's hold me accountable. This time it was actually important that I was held accountable. And I wrote a story about becoming a statistic and shared that with a couple friends. And it was about how I thought I would never be the person to have an eating disorder. But sure enough, here I was. And eventually shared that publicly on my, at the time, music blog about Twitter and music. Made no sense, but I posted it online and had a huge, I had a huge reaction from family members, friends who had been in similar situations, people who were close to me that were like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't know. And it inspired me at that point to really find a way to stop and hold me accountable because I didn't want others to think that I was letting them down at this point in time because I was saying, if I can stop, you can stop. And that really is what propelled me to what I thought was healing my ED. I never at that point in time had sought professional help, which is my biggest regret within my recovery journey. I have since gone to therapy for it and still go to therapy for it years into recovery. But I just band-aid fixed it. I said, oh, well, I'm eating now, but let's go back on that high school diet. Oh, I'm eating now, but let's do three spin classes a day. I just replaced 
I went, disordered eating, disordered, disordered eating. And it was a spiral that was really hard to break free from because of the world around us saying, you look great. Keep it up. Oh, you're in recovery. You do you. And still having that same doctor tell me that I wasn't good enough. I wasn't worthy. I wasn't the person I needed to be because of the number on a scale. Because I had gained some weight back for my ED. And, but I was work- it was when I was working out a lot. And I had a disappointment. And my numbers were starting to come back to a healthy range. Things were looking good. And he goes, you're gaining weight. I'm like, yeah, I am. You need to figure out how to lose weight. Do you work out? He's like, oh, boy, do I work out. Yes, I do two to three spin classes a day. That's a lot of working out. For those of you not into the spin world, a fitness instructor doesn't even stay on the podium for that many classes a day that they teach because it is that hard on your body to be on the podium spinning for three 50-minute classes. He didn't believe me. I had to pull up my app to show him that I checked into all these classes and it even shows your calories burned, all these metrics. He thought I faked it. He thought I faked it. So I was destroyed again. I mean, I think I'm getting healthy. I think I'm fixing things. And someone is telling me you were better when you were smaller. I think that's why it bothers me the most now with health concern trolls on the internet when they're like, oh, we're just concerned for your health. I go, cool. But you want to look at my overall health right now compared to my overall health eight years ago? Because it is a drastic difference. But you see a thinner, still a size 12 body versus a 14, 16 career heavier body and think, mm, can't be healthy. This podcast is sponsored by Indeed, the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. I myself got my career break on Indeed and had Cole use it to find his own jobs as well. They streamline hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get qualified candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. And candidates you invite to apply are three times more likely to apply for your job than candidates who only see it in search, according to U.S. Indeed data. Instant Match makes it so simple for employers and candidates alike. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills, when you can do it all with Indeed. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of qualified candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description, and you can invite them to apply right away. Join over 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash WholeView. Go to Indeed.com slash WholeView and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WholeView. Terms and conditions apply need to hire, you need Indeed. That's a lot. I really appreciate your vulnerability and sharing. There's so much of what 
you were speaking to that resonated with me. And I just want to like acknowledge to you and to all listeners who have had a health practitioner, like the research is very clear that medical bias is one of the most harmful things against people of size. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like an obese person for these things to happen. Like what happened to you could have been helped by a medical professional who was doing their job, which is looking at your health statistics and saying to you, wow, whatever it is you're doing is working because your numbers are getting better. So I just want to kind of acknowledge and sit with that for a minute because I think it's its own trauma to have a medical professional advise you to do something dangerous and against your health. And you are very kind and gracious towards, you know, your parents and not really, truly bad talking to doctors as much as I think you needed to. But I think that sometimes it's important that we hold people accountable. Like, yes, our parents grew up with that. And at the same time, Everybody is capable of learning a little bit more. And I felt from your story because I've been there before. Gosh, do I remember boys flirting with me for the first time. And like, (laughs) because you, I don't know about you, but I lacked so much self-validation and self-worth and self-love that the only thing that felt good was getting that validation from external sources. And you know, when you were talking about feeling like you had to be empty for me, for in Jeanette's book, it was literally emptying of emotions, right? Like emptying of bad feels. So for someone who, you know, is listening and is like, I cannot imagine intentionally throwing out food. Imagine that you know, in that person's mind or body, what they're actually getting rid of. And in most cases, you know, it's subconscious. It's not known at the time. But what you're getting rid of is pain, of sorrow, of depression, of anxiety, of PTSD, of all these different feelings that people have that aren't being dealt with, which is why it's so critical for therapy and for medical support as you go through this transition. And I know another thing that you talk about that happened later is kind of acknowledging your depression and your anxiety and working not just on mental health with a professional, but also taking medicine to support them. And I know my experience has been since going on a medication to support my anxiety, it's been life-changing in terms of my health as well, because like you said, my cortisol was crazy out of whack. And once I was stopped self-medicating with food or disordered eating behaviors, and I was then medicating with an actual brain support medication, then I was able to kind of take on better health habits, sleeping better, and just sleeping better makes everything in life easier, right? Like we can make healthier decisions. We can have more compassion and patience. Like there's just so much about it. And so I want to talk about that. But the last thing that I want to say is that we're talking a lot about health and you talked about health trolls and the doctor and all these things. I think that it's something that's been new to me in the last six to 12 months to realize that being healthy doesn't make me a better person. 
And that if we're coming from a place of thinking that we're helping someone by saying, I'm concerned about your health, really, I've been trying to reframe that as, how does this poor person want me to support them? Because if they don't want to focus on their health, that's not my business. That's not my body. I don't need to judge it. I don't need to think about it. And had someone said to me when I was a kid, instead of sending me to fat camp or, you know, a lot of what you're talking about resonated so deeply with me. And I do think, that, you know, it was coming from a place of thinking that someone was helping. I also think it was coming from a place of fat phobia, of fearing how a parent would be perceived to have a fat child, right? And so a lot of that has to let go. And when we let go, which was hard for me as a parent because I have four teenagers, none of which are in what would be in a BMI chart, like a perfect range. And I had to realize, well, genetically, they're come, they have two parents that are not coming from a normal range. Like that's not, their genetics, they were not set up for that. And so, what do they need from me? They need from me to ensure that they're supported, that they're nurtured, that they're loved, that if they turn to food for those feelings, instead of focusing on the problem with the food, I'm going to focus on how can I better support this child. What is driving them to seek comfort in food? What is driving them to sit in their room instead of going outside and playing? Are they depressed? Do I need, you know what I mean? I think as a parent, had someone said to me when I was that age and the fat phobia and the bias and all the things started to kick in and I was worried about wearing a tank top because, you know, my arms didn't look like everybody else's arms. And in both of our cases, we're very athletic build. Like, I think both of us as teenagers probably look like professional swimmers with very large chests. Like, that's, you know, we, neither one of us were like what anyone today would describe as obese or maybe even overweight. Like, both of our bodies were very healthy. And as you said, you were very active. I loved doing a lot of different activities. And I rode my bike to work every day. Like there were just so many things that I was doing that I was physically active. I had a social life. I had a job. I had all these things. And I'm like, yeah, what I needed, I was never asked. Like, you know, what do you need? And had I had that support, it would have changed the trajectory of the choices that I was making because I wouldn't have felt like I needed to get rid of the feelings in the toilet. I could get rid of the feelings by talking to someone who validated my feelings or supported me or, you know, whatever it was. And eventually I did go to therapy and get on depression medication and that kind of stuff as well, but never truly resolved like the hole that I had. And so for people who are listening, whether you're a parent or you're a friend or whatever it may be, I think the most important thing that we can all do is just ask someone, what do you need in this moment? What do you need in general? How can I support you? And try to really let go of the judgment because it's not your body. It's not your decision. And I think a lot of people choose to rebel against people who try to push things down, right? And so it's like, 
we'll find a way to do it our way. And most of the time, it's not positive, which is where, you know, working with a professional and getting medicine and all that stuff really comes into play. And sometimes it's hard to answer that question. What do you need? You might not know, especially as a 13-year-old kid. But being in a safe enough space to have a conversation to come to a conclusion of what you need is so important because I know for me, those feelings were, I'm not good enough. What can I do to be better? Well, you bought me a gym membership so I can get your love, your approval, your praise by going to the gym. Oh, you want me to do, to eat more greens. Okay, well, then that's all I'm going to eat in front of you. It was, how can I be the person that gets told you are enough? And I can't wait to be a parent when that time comes for us because I want to make sure all of my nieces and nephews right now, all of my friends' kids, and one day my kids know that you don't have to prove anything to me to get my love to get my admiration, to get my approval, because you existing and being a person is all you need to gain those things for me. I wish I would have known that earlier in life because I sought it out from childhood to then, like you talked to Bidico about the boys. Oh my gosh, once boys gave me attention, I my cup was filled. No, it wasn't. But I thought it. it was always trying to be enough. Will I ever be enough in work, in life, in relationships? That was ingrained into my brain from a young age. And that was definitely one of the things that I tried to throw away into the toilet. It's interesting to have the perspective to look on it now and to see it so clearly. And I try to tell myself that's healing, that's progress, that's good. And at the same time, like, it was so obvious. <laughs> right? Why? Why? So long was <laughs> such a problem. But you mentioned, you know, wanting to have children. The other area that you have been opening up more about recently on social media is trying to conceive and currently facing infertility. Do you feel comfortable sharing a little bit about that today? Have you found doctors or maybe even unconsciously your audience to be fat phobic or, you know, how they're perceiving your infertility? Absolutely. Let's chat about it. I, my internal fat phobia has come up with the infertility journey that we've been on. And I think that's, also an important thing to touch on is we have so many years of diet culture, societal standards, fat phobia shoved down our throats in every direction that it takes time to unlearn those things. And instead of getting upset with yourself when things occur where your like a fat phobia moment happens or your bias comes into play, just Use it as a learning experience because you can have it happen, check yourself and move on. You don't need to get mad at yourself and think that all this work you've done to be a better person is thrown out the drain. No, it happens. That's why it's a journey. There's no start, stop, before, after. We are 
human. So with infertility, as we've been trying, those thoughts have come into my brain of, well, I maybe I am too big. You know, it is harder in a larger body. Oh, I'm too fat for this. I've had those pop up and then I'll sit there and check myself and go, no. People get pregnant by accident every single day, whether that's a teenager, whether it's a coke addict, whether it's someone who outweighs me by 200 pounds. People of all backgrounds can get pregnant. So I have to remind myself that A, it's not my body. It's the problem. Very few cases of infertility come back to being about someone's weight. But then also, I sit there and have to sit with the fact that why did my brain even go to that place? Because, oh, my doctors. I mean, I had a, another bad doctor experience a couple years ago where he, I had knee surgery, was having some issues with recovery, got a second opinion from a doctor, and he told him I had an eating disorder history. So it's deep in like therapy days, like hard emotional trauma work. He goes, your knee will be fine. Also, this is a doctor that works with athletes, professional athletes in Dallas. So he's used to big, large men. And he goes, we could just have gastric bypass. He goes, you wouldn't even look the same. That was his solution for my second opinion of a knee, my knee surgery issues. And I'm like, well, A, you throw up your food. Anywho, but I've had very recent experiences with doctors. And so, no, of course, in a medical situation, I get nervous that, oh, it's my body. I'm not enough again. I was worried the first time we set up a specialist appointment that they were going to question, do I work out? Do I eat? Do, what do I drink water? Do I sleep enough? That I was going to have to defend myself. But I was pleasantly not questioned at all. They took what I said in my paperwork at face value, they addressed the fact that I had an eating disorder and wanted to make sure that I was in a healthy headspace, physical space, that I was comfortable with the body changes that happen when you do get pregnant because that can be very triggering, especially if you're not used to seeing your body change at all. And then with those of us who have struggled with bulimia, being nauseous in the morning, I mean, that can be triggering. So super comfortable with this doctor. Okay, I just want to also say, had you filled out on the form that you weren't exercising regularly, you're also worthy of having children. Like, I just feel like there's like, you know, big problem, medium problem, small problem, and no problem. And I think we're still in like the medium, small problem when, and I'm not saying that this doctor, you know, would have told you you needed to work out or whatever, but I've heard from so many people like, well, you need to lose weight and you need to be working out regularly before you get pregnant. And then I, instead of making it about weight, I want to reframe that question a little bit and say, does, is that person not worthy of motherhood because of the fact that you perceive that they're not doing it? And if we ask the person that question, their reaction and like would change a lot versus the you know, I'm doing it for your health. Like, do you not think that I am worthy as a person? I just think that it's worth calling out that, as you said, so many people have challenges and so many people, myself included, do not 
challenge, like did not have challenge conceiving. And that has nothing to do with whether or not someone is worthy or if they want it enough or if they're doing enough or if they're a good person or like whatever it is, because we have seen from history that is not the case, that there are people who are committing atrocities in the world who are having children and people who are the best humans in the world who have difficulties conceiving. So it none of that is the thing. Do you follow Dr. Laura Sham Sheham Shamham? I, I don't. Her. Oh, I'm gonna I'll connect you with her leader and listeners. I'll put a link in our show notes to the show that we had for her. But she's an infertility specialist that shares online and she's so fantastic at like these reminders that might be good kind of like mantras for you not to have to struggle with your own stuff right like convincing yourself and saying all these things like sometimes it's nice to have a validation of an outside source reminding you it has nothing to do with you and all that kind of stuff you know yeah and that's actually where the weirdest part of the whole journey for me is once we had gone through testing the first round of testing and were presented with a couple options as to what could be our issue we have unexplained infertility. So it's likely that I have endometriosis, but it can't be confirmed without the laparoscopy. That word always tongue ties me, but so we're presented surgery or IVF were our best options. And we've been sitting on those options. And I decided to share at that point, just in general with my community, like, hey, we're going through this. If you're going through it too, I am giving you the biggest hug because it's lonely. You start to think anything is wrong with you. You feel guilty. All sorts of feelings. I just wanted to kind of create that safe space for people to get connected with one another in the comments, to talk to me. And that is what opened the door to the hardest part of the whole experience for me because I was getting unsolicited. You should do this. You should try that. This supplement, this diet, this XYZ, everyone had an opinion. And there were a handful of people who respectfully were like, hey, I'd love to share with you what worked for us. Is that okay? And to which I said, I'm probably not going to read it right now. I'm not in a headspace to do that, but you're welcome to share. And if I want to come back to it later, I will. But just that unsolicited advice. And it really was triggering because it felt like diet culture in disguise. Because as we've talked about, I mean, you are worthy as a human being, no matter if you are healthy or not, period. End of sentence. You're deserving of love, respect, kindness, a family, happiness, a good job. Our health does not get to dictate. Like, you're healthy. You get to do this. Good job. You're not healthy. Oh, bummer. You're going to be punished. But all of a sudden it was, well, you're probably not getting pregnant because you don't eat enough fiber or you don't use flaxseed and I was on an all protein blah 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 like stop talking I don't want to hear it and I had to completely disconnect for a while because everyone's unsolicited opinions that they were being told by other people (laughs) how does this conversation ever come to an end and I guarantee it conflicted right I guarantee you had some person who was like all fiber all plant vegan and somebody else who was 
only meat, only protein, keto. And you're like, help me understand if it's <laughs> diet related, how both of those things can be true. And then some of my favorites were, well, my husband and I abstained for two months. So he had a great buildup. And then the next person, we had sex every single day from the Mm -hmm. second my period stopped to five days post ovulation. I'm like, guys, this is a lot. This all contradicts everything that person A and person B are saying. Summer is officially in full swing. If you need ideas to stop itchy bug bites, clear your pores, and reduce UV damage dark spots, I've got you. I partner with Beauty Counter because they test eight times for every skincare item, checking against 23 human health endpoints, making sure you're not exposed to endocrine, disrupted chemicals, carcinogens, contaminants, or a high heavy metal load. This summer, three of my favorites are the Charcoal Facial Mask. The activated charcoal and kale and clay pulls grime and gunk to the surface of your skin. You can literally see it, which means bug bites feel better faster and clogged pores feel refined as it purifies and balances absorbing excess oil and drying out impurities. My second summer favorite is our Albright line from the best-selling Albright C Serum to my ride or die must-have facial oil favorite or the new must-have dark spot minimizer. The entire line uses powerful botanicals to reduce signs of UV damage that you're probably getting this summer and to nourish the skin. And of course, my third favorite is Safer SPF. It was so hard for me to switch. I was so hesitant, but I'm so glad we did years ago because all of the press around the harmful hormone disrupting chemicals and carcinogens that have been found lately in name brand mainstream sunscreens is scary. I was worried that our very fair skinned family would need some other quote unquote stronger stuff. But the more research I did, uh, the more I learned that that was very wrong. And recently we went to the beach and no one got sunburned. Well, except Matt, who didn't put any on. And that's another conversation. The countersun line has been a game changer for our whole family. The kids don't resist because there's no more burning in their eyes or weird chemical smell. And we're helping keep the oceans clean with a reef safe product. If you want samples, yes, I send samples free. Or maybe you have a different skin or health concern. I love helping you pick out just the right thing to love the skin you're in. Email me, stacy at realeverything.com or text. Yes, it's me. You can text me 703-634-9992 and I will personally respond. I know that's weird, but it's part of my business and I love working with y'all. So if you are looking to support me and our family, doing so with Beauty Counter is one of the best ways. It helps support our small business as well as health protective legislation for all. Go to beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth, just like any other website, and choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, so I can send you a thank you. That's beautycounter.com slash Stacey Toth. Well, I mean, I think not only is it, you know, what people are saying, but like you said, it's what people are hearing. And I think what was interesting is as I was preparing for the show notes, I Googled because I wanted to pull up some research articles about the skewed numbers of people who 
are told that their weight is the problem for their infertility versus like what the true weight related items are. And even just from trying to find, so the first page of Google yielded absolutely nothing. It was totally toxic diet problematic articles that just enraged me. And I ended up giving up because I was like, this is useless. And it goes against what I already know. And in those articles, like just reading the front page, it went from claiming that one in three infertility, so 33% were linked to weight. And then a different article said that 6% of infertility as, is linked to weight. So I'm like, that's a huge difference. Where are we getting these numbers? What's Show me the sources because they're obviously problematic if we've got that huge of a discrepancy in the information you're pulling. And the fact is that for a lot of people, if you're not ovulating, you're more likely to have difficulties with trying to conceive. It might be a variety of things with infertility. It might be unexplained. It might be ovulation related. It might be a number of other things. We also know that there are people who have difficulty ovulating because they have a health condition like PCOS or endometriosis. But we also know that there are top athletes who, you know, don't ovulate or menstruate because of the physical demand on their body their body thinks that they're in stress running from a tiger and it's not the right time to have a baby we also know that people who have disordered eating oftentimes lose their menstruation because their body's like you're not getting enough nutrition yourself you can't provide enough nutrition for somebody else and there's there's all kinds of toxins in our environment that we have absolutely no control over as much as we might do ourselves lifestyle food products we're using all these things we cannot take ownership over the toxins that our body has been exposed to because when you're walking outside or you're, you know, doing whatever, what if someone, you know, was at a nuclear site that went off, are we going to say, well, it's your fault you can't get pregnant? No, you know, <laughs> like, let's just be kind a little bit to everybody who's going through these things. And we know that people who have PCOS, for example, have hormone imbalances, which impact their weight. Where for so long we said, oh, it's because you're overweight that you have PCOS. Research is now showing, oh, because you have PCOS, you are gaining weight. So when we start to say things like weight is the cause of your infertility or is infertility the cause of my weight? And none of those articles in that first page of Google even went into any of that. And I just happen to know for a fact that it's all freaking wrong because I got accidentally pregnant while I was super fat. I was defined by, you know, medical professionals as being morbidly obese, which means literally I was walking dead, which I just think is a terrible clinical term. But yes, <laughs> I got pregnant simply like breathing next to my husband. Like, you know, I he was my husband at the time, but and we later conceived our two biological children in the very first month that we were trying to conceive. Again, he just looks at me the wrong way and we would get pregnant. And so I was obese through all of that. And to say that weight is the cause of someone's infertility it just makes me so irate because I'm like, well, if that's the case, then why was I having absolutely no problem conceiving? And for a really long time, I felt a lot of guilt and shame about that. Like, oh, I'm not worthy of being pregnant. All of these other people who are trying so hard and who are healthier than me, they should have babies and I shouldn't. And, you know, the should statements come up and then I'm like, 
I'm judging myself, my fat phobia is coming into play, all of these kinds of things. And so the narrative is exhausting and it's the system is entirely built to shame us, to give excuses for things that people don't understand or to sell us something we don't need. And really, it's about working with a medical professional that you feel you can trust and like focusing on. And maybe that medical professional might say, well, it doesn't hurt to try some of these lifestyle things. Like Dr. Laura Shaheen talked about things that could impact, right? Like getting rid of personal care products that might be disrupting your hormones might help in some sort of way. But most people aren't you know, experiencing infertility and then switch their personal care products and then get pregnant. It's a combination of a lot of things like, hey, while we're making all these other efforts, let's also do some other things that can impact it. And so I just feel like it's the narrative is toxic and so harmful. And it made me so irate for you and for everybody else that I did that Google search. And I was just like, this is wrong. Oh, it's like, actually, and yeah, that's what people would, if someone was, you know, experiencing infertility and was overweight, that's what they would Google and that's what would come up for them. And then they would just be faced with shame. And then they'd be like, oh, okay, I'm not worthy of being a mom until I lose weight, which is just the most wrong thing in the world. And that your experience just shows how all of these online or in-person arguments, people get so set in their ways. Like, I have evidence. I am correct. Because you can find whatever you are wanting to find on Google. You can find those articles written by a fat phobic doctor who's like, oh, yes, fat women. That's why you can't get pregnant. And it's going to show up on page one. So then little Mr. Jacob is going to go over here and say, see, you have to lose weight, you fat pig. And it's like, no, like just because you found that doesn't mean it's accurate. Two like, wrongs don't make a right. Yeah. Learn that in kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> the things we learn in kindergarten, I want to take a lot of people back. Like, yeah, that's exactly. a refresh. Kindergarten teachers are just the loveliest. I've never met a single one that wasn't just like the best person in the world. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Maybe something a little more fun. You did share about your wedding preparation publicly. <laughs> and as someone who is much older, I was not online for, you know, when Matt and I originally, well, we just went down to the courthouse. I didn't even like wear a wedding dress or anything. But I did share about my 10-year vow renewal. It was so fun to like share about that online. And I'm wondering what that was like for you. Did you have positive feedback of people who found it helpful, like the tips that you were sharing for people and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah, I think it was definitely an interesting time to get engaged and be a bride. I was supposed to be get married in Cabo June of 2020. So that added a whole other element to sharing about our wedding prep because we had plans that got completely changed multiple times. I actually had a gal message me the other day on our anniversary. She was, oh my gosh, I remember this. Like, that's right when I started following you. So it was fun to kind of reminisce about what she remembered. But the wedding dress shopping was so fun. But the best thing I did for myself was I picked my dress before I shared dresses that I didn't want because I can get easily swayed and second guess myself because I'm not always super sure of myself. And I think had I started sharing dress options from the get-go, I would be like, I have no idea what dress to pick. And then, but it was fun getting to share all these moments. I don't have a big group of girlfriends in my 
real life, like in my day-to-day person, human outside of the internet life. And most of us are super introverts, which people are shocked. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I used to think having a bunch of acquaintances meant I was doing well in life, but I didn't have a lot of like close friends. And so getting to share the moments of stress because we don't know what's going to happen with our wedding, wedding dress shopping, picking out the little details for our wedding with, you know, my hundreds of girlfriends online was really nice to do. I think it's a magical time that people always either kind of reminisce themselves or are looking forward to. And so I appreciate that, you know, when people share it, but I think it's very smart to also have a little self-protection up and it's probably a little behind the scenes for a lot of listeners for people if you're following someone I would say probably like nine times out of ten if they're asking you a question like which outfit do you like better they've already decided like you know I'm sure when most fashion bloggers put up their like which to keep and which to get rid of like they've already packaged up the stuff that they're keeping and not keeping because it would not be healthy to live our lives based off of what other people think all the time. Like sometimes, just like, you know, everybody else, I want an opinion from someone I'm getting. I'm packing for a trip and I'm like, which dress is better? Let me ask my friend. Or, you know, I'm going on a trip with my mom. Mom, what are you going to wear for this night? I want to make sure that like we're going to match or whatever. Like that kind of stuff. Yes. Normal kind of checking versus like seeking validation of a choice from someone can be a toxic problematic thing so I think it's fantastic that you knew that about yourself enough to say I picked my dress already but I'm just gonna like keep that to myself (laughs) so this is a really interesting point that you bring up because I am do both I had to do a I've learned a lot about myself I'm very introspective plus therapy etc and having an online presence you really do get to know yourself a lot I would say if you're having a healthy online presence and doing the work you can get to know yourself yeah (laughs) but I this is a silly thing. I used to always do dark nails and it was just my comfort zone. I was black, navy, dark green. And one of the things in therapy, she's like, why don't you mix up something? Again, going back to I like to have control over things. That's why I had an eating disorder for so many years is because I had control over it. So in an effort to not have control over something in my life, that was is essentially meaningless. Like at the end of the day, it was frivolous. I started doing a poll before I got my nails done. I would pick two or three options that I was comfortable with that were outside of my comfort zone, though. Like instead of blacks and greens, it was, oh, Valentine's Day is coming up, pink or red. And I would 100% let my community pick that for me. I went with whatever was the highest and that it was what it was. But that also opened up the door for the times, like you said, when we already know what our answer is for people to get into my head a little bit thinking they can because we have that relationship with nail colors. So I was redoing our 
bathroom and I did not ask for an opinion. I just said, like, I'm deciding between these couple rugs. I'm waiting for a couple rugs to come in. I had hundreds. It was one of my most replied to stories in like a three month span. Hundreds of people being like, I like this one. I like that one. I like this one. You should do this. You need to order this. Blah, blah, blah. Like, whoa, okay. I needed to have had a firm decision before I posted that because I was not mentally prepared yeah, for everyone's looks, opinions. Yeah. I wonder if people understand that unsolicited opinion thing because I do think that the thought oftentimes is like, well, if you're putting yourself out there, then you must want to hear from us. And 100%, like, I'm probably not speaking only for myself when I say, like, I am obsessed with my community. They bring me so, like, so much to my life in terms of, like, what I get from them is way more than what I feel like they say that I give to them. And I think that my listeners and my community walk on water. They're absolutely the best people on the internet, like all the things. And at the same time, sometimes I'm just a mother or a human or whatever, making the decision that is best for me in that moment. And because someone can't possibly know everything that's happening in someone's life, whether they're online or they're my neighbor or they're my best friend or they're my sister, none of those people know every single thing that's happening in my life. And so therefore, sometimes it has to be my own decision, right? It has to be, I need to weigh all things. And I've even had therapists who, we had a therapist once early on, my husband and I were in marriage counseling together during the pandemic it was dark this is get into that but it was dark times and we are foster parents and we had a foster child who we're now adopting who we love and was really challenging they have some specific traumas and past that made especially early on it really difficult to for Matt and I to be on the same page and know how to parent and, you know, do things. And I remember that marriage counselor saying to us that the solution was to not be a foster parent to this child. And that would be better for us. And I, I mean, like, I'm thinking about it now and I'm like, that wasn't their call to make. No. And like, if like just like weight just like fertility just like all these things really what we needed to do was to work on the foundation of our marriage and understanding and having compassion with each other and coming up a plan with a plan that we both agreed on and then we would make a decision about what was right for us once we we had that like foundation in place and i think where she was coming from was you can't get that foundation built up when you have you know like a building shaking on top of it but like that kid was our kid that kid was our family and to nobody would ever say to someone well that biological child is really the cause of your marriage <laughs> issues go ahead and get rid of Bye. that and then everything will be fine right and so these unsolicited like we didn't ask her <laughs> like what she thought about that child's day or going it was more like well what i'm seeing in your 
you you know, in your relationship is this is the problem. Like, no, that's not the problem. The problem was that we were encountering something in a 20 year relationship that was challenging us. That wasn't something we'd faced before. He was working for the first time. He was an essential worker during the pandemic. We were foster parents working with a child who had traumas we'd never experienced before. Like there were things that we needed to learn how to do and be better. But that solicited advice still comes back into my head sometimes when, you know, things are not great. Things are not perfect. And I'm like, should I have done something different? And then I'm like, kind of smack myself a little bit. Like, nope, that's a should word. Like, I have made a decision that is best for me and our family. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. I know that this is the path I feel best about taking. What do I need to do to help me in this moment right now? And I think that process, that thought process can apply to a lot of different things, but only if you have that self-assurance and self-confidence and you've done the work to get there, which as we've talked about for the last hour, only comes with, you know, getting medicine that's right for you, working with medical professionals that you trust, going to therapy and doing the work that you need to do, and sometimes making a decision that the medical professionals that you're working with aren't right for you. Thank goodness you left that doctor who told you that what you were doing to get all your blood work back on track was the problem that you needed to go back to having an eating disorder. Like, good saying that you're not still seeing him you know <laughs> well and it goes with all sorts of people in our lives I mean whether that's still in the medical world like therapists when I have girlfriends who are like I want to talk to someone my first piece of advice is go into it because go into it like it is you're dating someone because if you're in there and you don't feel comfortable go leave you don't yes. owe them anything if your doctor's not helping you, leave. There's other professionals out there. We are lucky to live in a world that we have the internet or friends that can help us find someone else or get a referral from a doctor you will trust for a different type of doctor you need because life is too short to be stuck with medical help, friends, anyone around you that is not supporting a positive experience and making you second guess and question everything about your own life especially if you're paying for it like it is literally a service that's being provided if you walk out anything that you've paid for and don't feel good stop paying for it like yes the friendship piece and all of that i totally agree with and at the same time like i feel especially especially passionate about the medical professional piece because i do feel like it's contributing so much to problems the increase of death in overweight people caused by medical professionals assuming that it was only weight related and not actually checking that the person had lung cancer, they weren't just out of breath because they were overweight. Different things like that, like really gets under my skin in a way that like my Enneagram 8 challenger comes out and I'm like, you need to leave. If you get any bad vibes at all, especially if you're paying for something. I don't care if it's the person who does your nails and you feel like they're talking about you in another language or, you know, your doctor is not <laughs> listening to you, like any service that you're paying for. Don't continue to pay for it. Like there are other people out there who yeah. will treat you with kindness and compassion, who will appreciate the service that you want them to provide and 
are worthy of your time and which I guess takes me to what I always try to end the podcast with which is ways that listeners can have some positive actionable steps to be of service either for others or for themselves so we're talking about currently evaluating services or relationships that someone might have to see what's really serving them what other kind of takeaways or ideas do you think of that someone today turning off the podcast can be like i can do this one thing to better my life i love to do this activity for myself and whenever i get a group of gals together in the same room I take the back of a sticky note, so the side that has the sticky on it. We're going to call this the bad side for the sake of this task. And I write on there something that has been told to me, something that I feel inside, something that has a negative connotation of some kind. So for me, maybe right now I have a video going viral and I'm getting told that my, my thighs are too big and they're too fat. So I'll write like too big of thighs, too fat on that side. And then I'll flip it to the good side and reverse my own narrative. So instead of having too big of thighs, I have strong thighs that I can use to lift up my nephew and give him a piggyback ride all over the zoo when he comes to visit me. So I like to take something that it could even be an internal thought that you've had that's just you're not feeling great about X, Y, Z. And how can we reframe that narrative? Because reframing our narratives and making sure that we hear the same stories in our head and think the same thoughts in a positive light can make a big difference on how we hold ourselves high and what our confidence and self-worth is like. I love that. What do you do with the sticky notes then? Like once you've done it, where do they go? I like to put mine on my mirror. And so it's facing with the positive. Yep. Right? I like it. One of the other things that you've done that I think I always recommend to people is evaluate who are their circle of influence. So in real life, but also social media, because I think a lot of us follow people that we aspire to be, but then we feel less than when we see their content. One of the things that I started doing with those people because I wrote best-selling diet cookbooks. I have a lot of friends who still share that kind of content that's triggering for me, but I'm still friends with the person. So I mute the content. I don't unfriend them or I don't block them, but I mute the content. And in a lot of cases, these people are aware that some of what they're working on is hard for me personally, but like, they're my friends. Other people on social media that listeners are following, those people have no idea if you unfollow them or you mute them or whatever. And I will say this week that we are recording, threads came out on the internet and took the internet by storm. <laughs> I can't believe it didn't break the internet with a hundred million people joining within like 48 hours or whatever. But when I imported my contacts, and people I was following from Instagram to threads, I took the opportunity. I fortunately was on vacation and I had an hour, but I took the opportunity to like sit down and 
unfollow a lot of people and to also be like, oh, I love dog videos on Instagram. I will keep this account on Instagram. I do not need it on threads. And oh, this person, I like what they have to say, but I'm triggered by their food and their stories. I'm going to mute them on Instagram, but I will follow what they're saying on threads. And so I just, I like also that you share, you know, different body positive bloggers that you follow or that you're friends with. And I'll put a link in show notes to people to a post that you made on your blog in 2020. But I know also, you know, that you share online and in social at Streets Beats Eat on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok so that, you know, they can get inspiration from you there. But that was another one I just wanted to shout out because of threads this week. It's just been on the top of my mind. And I think it has such a huge impact on how you feel when you're done with social media. Like if you feel drained and negative and self-criticizing when you're done looking on social media versus inspired. Like I follow a lot of psychologists who like write things that are super interesting, like help me be introspective and grow as a person. And I feel good when I'm done with social media because of what I've curated. If you don't feel that way, then it's okay to recurate that space for you, you know? I think in addition to muting those that aren't serving you, it's important to take the time to go follow people who look different than you. Maybe that body size, skin color, religion, queer, not queer, whatever that looks like. Because the more we see diversity in our feed, the more our everyday just feels inclusive of others. And I think that has helped me a lot personally is seeing things while I'm scrolling, even if I'm sitting at home all day, I'm still seen all sorts of beauty in my feed and I don't find myself comparing in a negative way as often. And comparison is real. It's not fun. It sucks. And the best thing we can do to get out of that headspace is to just remember that two things can be true at the same time. We can adore and look up to someone for XYZ, but it doesn't take away that from us. Like, yes, that person is beautiful, but your beauty isn't diminished because of theirs simply existing. And the one other takeaway I wanted to share was I like to spend time naked or just in my bra and underwear at home, personal, secluded. Maybe that's while I'm getting ready for the day, like doing my hair, blow drying my hair. If no one's home, maybe that's cleaning the kitchen, but doing something to get comfortable in a stripped down version of my own body really helps me to start to feel secure and confident in owning the stage of life that I'm in. And I think that is something that a lot of listeners could try just to start feeling a little more connected to themselves. I love that idea. And also, if someone is blow-drying their hair not naked, I want to know how you're doing that. Sweaty mess. Well, it, it defeats the purpose of the blow dry because then I'm sweating by the end of it and I have curly hair and then it's just, it's a nightmare. So it's a, I mean, it's not just great advice for your mental health, but also like it will help your blow drying process. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> well, Casey, I want to thank you so much for being here today and listeners for tuning in. Listeners, you can find everything about where you can follow up with Casey on the show notes on realeverything.com. But you can also 
go to Casey's website, streetsgateseats.com. And it's the same name on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, all linked on the website as well. There are a number of posts that we've referred to throughout the show that will be in the show notes as well. And I definitely recommend if you were inspired at all about the infertility story to check out our show 31 with Dr. Laura Shaheen, who is fantastic. And we talk a lot about different things impacting bias and all things fertility on that show. And I also want to say that if you yourself or you know someone who is struggling with any eating disorder, there are a lot of resources that Casey has put together that we are also putting in the show notes to help with recovery or warning signs or advice for parents. And I think that even if you aren't experiencing something like that in your life right now, being educated on it, as we talked about from the people in the doctor's office, can help you kind of be aware a little more when things come up. I will say I have noticed in friends' children that some bulimic habits that I was able to kind of point out to them that the parents were absolutely, you know, clueless about because I myself have been there. So I know kind of what some of the warning signs are or what behavior to expect. And having that education won't take very long to kind of look into. You can watch a YouTube video. You can, you know, go to some of these links on the website, but it's definitely worth spending a few minutes to become educated because it could help others learning CPR. You know, the cost of having learned that skill is so insignificant compared to the life that you might be able to save. Just another like little skill you can have that will help everybody. And finally, I want to thank listeners again for being here. And if you enjoy the space that we create and produce ourselves, there's a number of ways that you can support us by going to patreon.com slash the whole view where we've ad free versions of the show to get those delivered to your inbox you don't have to download the app or anything crazy we also have my book club the naughty book club there it's a fun space or if you don't have the money to do that totally understand although it's one dollar a month you can also just leave a review or share the show in any sort of app that you're listening to or on your social i appreciate it so much and I know if you tag Casey and I, we will love seeing you connect with us on social. So it doesn't cost you a single thing to leave a review or follow or subscribe to the show. And it makes a big difference. Lastly, always appreciate your willingness to be open to growth through your own personal changes. No one is perfect, but in listening, learning, and unlearning, we can choose to become better versions of ourselves for ourselves. Thank you again, Casey. It was lovely getting to know you. Thank you so much for having me. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.